Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to A Time for Justice. A Time for Justice is a program on the Elevated Places Network. And my name is Sister Pamela Muhammad, and I'm an attorney. This show, A Time for Justice, discusses legal and current events in a roundtable discussion of legal minds. We discuss this country's centuries-long failure to apply, uphold, and enforce the laws, and the overall failure of the legal system to give justice, and the negative impacts these failures have had on black people and their black families. Tonight, we will be discussing the black independent nations and the current Haitian crisis. And this is an inhumane uh, event of epic proportion that is impacting our black families and black nations all over the world. So on this show, ultimately, we're going to discuss this matter. And ultimately, we want fair dealing. Discussions are about having justice under the law. But all too often, this is not the actions that we see. Our guest tonight will not make those excuses for the racist conduct often seen, which are really just distractions from the truth, which is the path to justice and equal protection. Let's talk about just, fair, and equitable solutions, which are in the best interest of the people. Let's remove the distractions. And as I said earlier, tonight we're going to be talking about Black Independent Nations and the current Haitian crisis. As we know, the Haitian immigrants uh, were at the U.S. border where we were shocked to see the patrol agents with the abusive and inhumane treatment on horsebacks blocking the path of the Haitians. Uh, We know that there were over 15,000 immigrants, mostly Haitians, who had made this dangerous journey from Latin America, hoping to seek asylum in the United States. And the Haitians were singled out and targeted uh, for mass expulsion. And I have to back up because the Final Call newspaper this week, as we all know and read, the Final Call newspaper, the best newspaper on the planet, and I was reading some of the facts from an article entitled Singled Out, Abused, and Expelled. 
Biden administration's failures, false promises on full display at the U.S. border. In addition to that, another article in the final cause is entitled Biden's Backstabbing, Haiti, Blacks, and False Promises. And this is the edit- that was an editorial. The initial article was written by a brother by the name of J.S. Adams. So I did want to bring everybody's attention to the final call and really say, people, please get this final call. It is so informative and very much so on this issue. Tonight's guests are going to really give us the information and perspectives on what they see, why we see it. I'm very excited about this panel uh, because I, I have to be honest, when I, I'm an attorney, but when I look at world events and I see black people, I always have to find out, well, who are these black people and how do they relate to me? What is our bloodline? What is the connection between how we're treated in America and how black people are treated all over the diaspora? So that's one of the conversations we're going to have tonight. Our, our, our listeners, our panelists are going to talk about the law. They're going to tell us about the history. They're going to tell us about the politics. And as the Biden administration, I believe the, um, the envoy, he actually withdrew because he said the policy to Haiti was flawed. And, you know, as we know, we live in a country where the policies toward black people here in America and our treatment by this criminal justice system, these, um, any, any, just, you know, running down education, medical health, all of these policies toward black people are genocide. And I think that's what we're going to hear from our panelists today. Again, we're not going to talk about distractions. We're removing them. So the first person I want to invite uh, and open up her mic is our sister, Tiffany Muhammad. And Sister Tiffany is an attorney. She's been a frequent contributor to the show. I thank her so much for taking her time. She's a licensed attorney uh, working as an immigration, you know, working in the field of immigration, uh, providing advice and consultations for U.S. citizens and immigrants seeking information on political asylum green cards, work permits, and such. She works for the law office of Barbara Purnell. And Sister Tiffany is also a graduate of the Texas Southern Law School here in Houston, Texas. And Sister Tiffany, I wanted to open up your mic. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. You can hear me okay? Yes, ma'am, we hear you perfectly, and I wanted to thank you for coming on the show to discuss these, you know, this this immigration crisis, this Haitian crisis event as a, you know, immigration attorney is what you do. And so yes, I wanted ma'am. to thank you. Yes, ma- yes, ma'am. And so next, I wanted to open up the mic for our brother. He is such a special guest. We have a brother by the name of Eric Muhammad, and our brother is Eric. Hippolyte Muhammad, and Brother Eric was born in Haiti, and he is a member of the Nation of Islam. He entered the United States uh, pretty much on in July of 1968. He shares with us that he and his brother went to study in Montreal, Canada, where he completed his secondary and college degree. On his return to the U.S., 
he uh, landed as an assistant shipping manager, and from there he decided to pursue other international marketing. During that time, started a successful live music promotion in Brooklyn, New York, and, um, you know, went on to get married, raising children, and he is also the husband of our beloved sister attorney, Barbara Muhammad, and so, I, you know, Brother Eric, he is just such a um, valuable and beloved brother. I've, I've seen him for years. He's a final call photographer. He's a retired banker. And he's also a course supervisor um, with some of the, um, the church, I believe, with some of the Church of Scientology uh, programs that he works on. So I want to go ahead and welcome Brother Eric to the mic. Brother Eric. Assalamu alaikum. Well, alaikum Brother Eric. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on a time for justice this evening. And next, I'm sorry, go ahead, Brother Eric. No, I said I'm the one to thank you for the yes, privilege. Sir. Yes, sir. This has been a um, long time in the making uh, because you have such rich information, and I'm very thankful that you took the time to come and share some of the information with us in the history. Next, I want to um, open up the mic for our brother, Joshua Muhammad. And Brother Joshua is really a very special guest for us tonight because, you know, we know that the young people in our nation, as they are the, the, the Joshua generation and they are the ones who are leading, and this brother is a, I've known him since he was a a very young uh, person, but he is an engineer and a community activist activist from Houston, Texas. Brother Joshua graduated from Prairie View A&M University with a bachelor's in electrical engineering. He currently operates a electrical contracting business and has recently partnered from the, he partnered with the New Canaan Development Group, a real estate and construction service company focusing on uniting professionals, building sustainable and self-sufficient communities. And he's also into community development work with non-for-profits uh, by the name of Nation Up, along with working with the Houston Local Organizing Committee and, of course, Muhammad Mosque Number 45 which is the Southwest Regional Headquarters of the Nation of Islam. So Brother Joshua is here, and I want to open up his mic. So I'm like, yes, yeah, Brother Joshua. Yes, sir, we to hear you. Yes, sir. Thank you and welcome. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Thank you. The pleasure is all ours. Welcome to A Time for Justice, and um I look forward to to speaking with you. So um, next, you know, this is a very, very special guest as well, and he's a very well-known national chairman of the National Black United Front, known as NBUF to some. And so this is our brother, Kofi Taharka. Now, Brother Kofi is a brother that has been engaged in the African Black Liberation Movement for over 30 years in various capacities. He is an organizer and activist 
whose calling, whose calling is to be that of a servant to his people. Currently, he has the privilege, the honor, and the responsibility of being the national chairman of the National Black United Front. And let me open up Brother Kofi's mic. Brother Kofi. Black Power, Salam Alaikum. Black. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, join this uh, impressive panel. I'm looking to learn from the sisters and brothers, and we uh, send a shout-out to all of the involved members that have put it all over the country. Oh, yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brother Kofi, for uh, sharing this time with us. And, you know, I wanted to say uh, when it came to Brother Joshua, but also I would say the same thing about Sister Tiffany, and I would even have to refer to you, Brother uh, Kofi, um, you know, and, and Brother Brother Eric, of course, is one of our elders. But in a book entitled Defending Farrakhan, Book 2, Brother Demetric wrote an article called The Joshua Generation, The Black College Student's Divine Destiny. And it's just so interesting because it really, I think, sums up, you know, many of us who were on these college campuses and we got this seed and, and, you know, and we heard the minister. And, you know, it just really goes on to say that the minister said, um, you know, Jesus lived a purpose-driven life as a young man. And he, he went on to say that Jesus gave his life for the deliverance of his. He did not waste his youth in idle or frivolous pursuit. And this is what Minister Farrakhan is calling black students to be or to do and to be like Jesus. And so when I, I look at this panel tonight, and I'm taking that from Brother Demetric Muhammad's uh, article, so I, I don't know, he, he may not be quoting the minister. He's actually describing, you know, what he's, he's seeing. But he, he just talked about how the minister uh, wanted the black intelligentsia, you know, to 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 not be controlled by forces outside the black community and, and how beautiful, you know, this is me saying, but, you know, how beautiful that is when we have our people gathered together. So this is what I think, you know, this panel brings tonight, you know, hard workers, people on the, on the in the streets and um, also very intelligent, also very um, dedicated. And as brother Kofi said, uh, servant to the people. So, Let's get right into this. Again, we're talking about the black independent nations and the current Haitian crisis. And I want you all to kind of look at, let's start about um, what, what did you think? What, what are we thinking in terms of when we saw this present crisis, when we saw this border patrol and these images and the beatings and detaining of black people at the border, um, what what did what did what did you think? Does anybody want to share um, so we can just kind of open it up? And, and before we do that, let me just make sure this is comment callers. If you have a question or a comment, you can press the number one to get into the host queue, and we will take questions and comments from all the callers. So um, let let's put Mr. this Pam? into context. Yes. 
Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. If, if it's okay, I would like to get started, only because I, I have some deadlines and i got to get, get, get going. But thank you so much again for having me. Such a great yes, um, um, yeah, lineup with all the wonderful um, young brother Joshua. I remember him being a resident in Third Ward. I remember Brother Kofi. Um, I'm just, and it's, of course, I know Attorney uh, Barbara, so I'm just so grateful to be a part. Um, I wanted to just uh, begin with um, what you said, what was my first, um, what did I think about when I learned of what the crisis was going on with our brothers and sisters um, at the border, actually in Texas. As an immigration attorney, um, you know, when, when, when you're at the border, if you understand by law, that actually uh, gives, once you touch land of United States, we all should pretty much know this, but you, you're, um, you're, you have right to due process exists. So, again, once, you know, a refugee is a person classified when you're outside of the land of the United States when there's, um, you know, different grounds for, um, to, to, to apply for. But once you touch the land, the point is our brothers and sisters, our Haitian brothers and sisters, we all learned and we all had the visual, thanks to the drones, and for those um, folks out there to show what was, uh, I guess, over, some say up to 30,000, but for sure we know that there were 15,000 Haitian mi- uh, migrants in Texas under a bridge. And what they were uh, said to be doing, it was reported that they were waiting to be processed. Um, so my first um, idea as an immigration attorney, I wanted to, um, I, I was totally shocked, but not shocked, right, knowing um, the, the nature of our government, but just to see that they were uh, actually being expelled back to Haiti um, and not given the chance to uh, their rights, the due process right for those who are on the land and the soil of the United States to be able to apply for asylum. So that right there, that was the initial, you know, that, that's just so much. And then, of course, as you pointed out with the Border Control and the Department of, of Homeland Security and, you know, the policing and having the, the manner, the manner of policing, right? I'm sure the brothers who are there um, will touch on that later. But just, again, I just wanted um, us to know the difference between refugee and asylum, number one. Asylum is if you're in the United States and you apply for a refugee status um, when you're outside of, of the United States. So our brothers and sisters most definitely by law should be entitled to that. So we've all pr- probably heard that they, uh, something called of Title 42, and the Title 42 okay. is what this government is using to justify our, um, I guess, was it 37 planes uh, that have already taken our, our brothers and sisters deported them back to Haiti without the right to due process based on title 42. It was, uh, it's nothing, it's not a new law per se. It was passed in 1946, but under the Donald Trump administration, it was interpreted. They took out the pieces and they used it since March, 20, uh, 2020 with the pandemic, they used it to establish that, uh, essentially that because of the pandemic and the health a potential crisis uh, for aliens or immigrants to come over. Therefore, there were that allowed them to stop anybody at the border and make them go back. So essentially, that's exactly what Biden did. He initially, um, before the Democrats or the different, I guess, world stage <laughs> presented, they initially um, they allowed the Title 42 to justify to send our brothers and sisters back. And again, we know that almost 4,000. 
uh, Haitians have been returned and deported back to Haiti. So I'm sure the brothers will mm. go through the history of Haiti and just talk about and discuss why that is going to be problematic. Um, I think outside of that, just understand. the right of applying for asylum. And I just wanted to point out, just being an immigration attorney um, for the last couple of years, can you hear me okay? Yeah, you went out for a moment. So right before you said asylum, you you went out. Yes, ma'am. I just, just giving the picture, and I'm going to let someone else speak, but just understanding uh, the right to asylum um, in the United States, first of all, you have, there's generally three qualifications. It's set up where you have to prove uh, the burden on the um, immigrant that there's a a well-founded fear of persecution based on past persecution or risk of persecution in the future if they're returned to their country or fortune. So there's, you know, there's different elements that have to be satisfied. But in my experience, I'm looking at the stats. The stats are relevant. In uh, 2019 to 2020, there's only been a 34 to 35% approval or grant of actual asylum. So we're not even talking about will they be granted it, you know, initially, can they even apply? And that's how inhumane and utterly ridiculous this is that they don't even, we don't even, you know, if your skin's dark, let's just say that the Haitians didn't even have the, 4,000 Haitians didn't even have the opportunity to apply. So, um, I mean, there's been a a declining, declining rate of approvals of, of, of asylum, period. But we have to know that, of course, there's a disproportionate number of Blacks, you know, Africans, Haitians, who are not able to get, for whatever reason, granted their asylum cases. And if I gave you and spilled out all the requirements and criteria, you would agree that they most definitely should in, in qualify. They should qualify. So I guess that's uh, what what I wanted to just discuss initially, uh, Sister Pam, that uh, I guess the facts and all that uh, the other panel will discuss. But um, it's it's utterly ridiculous. This administration, for all those you know who wanted Trump out, wanted Biden in, I just just don't definitely we know there's not a difference. There's not a difference, Sister Pam, especially in yeah. regards to immigration yeah. reform. Yeah, and 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 really the the history. So we're looking at the history of Haiti, and and what is the cause of of this? What do what do we need to know, so we can properly lead ourselves into the future? Um, what what are we knowing about Haitians independent, the independent nation of Haiti, and and is there some hatred um, that is specially looked at by Western? Western world, and um, I kind of, whoever wants to start um, with that, because I think that's very important. Well, uh, assalamu alaikum, this is Brother Eric. Wa alaikum salam. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I bear with Mazda Ismagal, but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. Uh, by all means, uh, there has been conspiracy at the highest level, and uh, that includes the Vatican, America, France and Great Britain, and now Canada is part of, of it also, uh, because they, they never forgive Haiti for what we have done, because Haiti really uh, is known uh, as a boat people, Haiti is known as the poorest nation in the West, all of that are propaganda words. 
because the and I can understand it on a scriptural sense also because there is a passage in, in Matthew 5 and verse 13 that say ye are the salt of the earth but if the salt have lost its savor wherewith shall it be salted it is then for good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden on the foot of man and this is exactly what is being done now because there was a time uh, any war that was to be fought in the americas whether it's in the united states or in uh, in canada uh, or even in the caribbean they always call on the asian army to come and help and uh, with that we were conquering for uh, for uh, the the French army because we were also at one point part of the French army and now they find a way to threaten uh, us under their feet and if you look at uh, we caused that too because there was uh, there has always been a conflict between the mulattoes and the blacks uh, there was also the freed blacks who also were oppressing the blacks so all of this uh, at the height of what you are seeing today but uh, in, in in fact the the the, uh, the the independence itself was denied by america after we come and help them to get there not too many people know that the haitian army helped america and in fact if you go to georgia in savannah georgia there are some monuments there erected at the in honor of those heroes and mm. uh, are the thing, the fact but uh, you know we were a great nation but uh, the the whole thing they make sure after our independence they brought us to uh, poverty uh, this is the first time in uh, the world history that a, 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 a victor become a victim because we had to pay indemnity for embarrassing the french uh, for losing a war so uh, so now we we were paying that indemnity until 1947 mm. okay. and uh, also the the pope uh, also had something to do because they did not like the the fact that we had to cast them out because there was a, a after independence in 1804 they suddenly put all whites out and some of the mulattoes who were also against him he, he put them out so all of these things, is a, that conspiracy at the high, highest level, it's not just white people. It also included some blacks and even some uh, some uh, mulattoes and black Asians. So until today, we're having the same problem. If you look at every time there is a problem in Haiti, uh, it always comes from the same group of people. Uh, whenever there is invasion or something like that, you will find they started in Dominican Republic. And you never heard that they tell you once that Dominican Republic captured one of them to say they're going to bring them to justice. So that means they are also part of the conspiracy. And and they never forgive us either for occupying them for 25 years. And uh, under Toussaint Louverture also we occupied them. So all of these things is to be understood. Why they they're trying to do really is to discourage any black who aspire to become free to say hey mm-hmm. if you want to be free this is what you're going to suffer mm, beautiful yeah anyone else want to um 
add to that history because um, cause I just want to make one point. Uh, and I had to actually get my 16-year-old to really break it down for me. So the, the Haitian ancestry is part of the same ancestry of people that were brought from Africa. They were part of the transatlantic slave trade. And right. they, they, unlike us, you know, they didn't come to America, but they still were part of the black people that were sold and brought to the Caribbean area. And this is who the Haitian people are. And as Brother Eric was saying, I was reading a book uh, by Howard Zinn, and they were referring, talking about Cuba, Cuba, another independent country, and they were saying how the fear was that a black republic might be dominant. And they go back to the fact that the first nation ran by blacks in the New World was Haiti. And that was the, the actual revolution that uh, Brother is talking about, where the Haitians colonizers, they fought the French, and they actually won against them. But again, you know, these are the same from the same line of enterprise and slavery that black people here in America, we were um, brought on slave ships. We were just brought to America. Some were brought to Brazil. Some were brought to Jamaica. And I just think that's so important for us to to know. Now, I know my brothers on this, uh, many of you all, you all know this. You all are steeped in our history but, again, you know, when we're looking at these Haitians, we're looking at ourselves um, as black people here in America. And as Sister Tamika Mallory, I think, said, and we said it, too, uh, last week on Sister Ava's show, that the practices of beating the Haitians at the Texas border in Del Rio on horses and the brutality, it looks like what we saw with our brother George Floyd. It looks like. Michael Brown, it looks, and, and, and these are the same Western oppressors um, that that we, we all are dealing with. And so, you know, unity is, is very important here. And so that's why we're here tonight. We wanted to really get into the history um, to let people know what is really going on so we can properly lead ourselves. Um, I think wealth is another issue that the wealth of Haiti, but uh, Brother Kofi, I know that you, um, you gave me the, the, um, the, the statement on the immigrant crises at the Texas border, and in some of that, you did talk about the French history and the manifestation of colonization. Can you, can you talk to us and enlighten us about some of what, we, what we're seeing here? with the Haitian yes, history and, and yes, sir, from Western. Yes. So, Trinity, uh, now, you know, I can't hear you, Brother Kofi. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Can y'all hear me? Yes, sir, we hear you. It's better now. Okay, Much better. Yes, sir, definitely. Yeah, uh, what you think about in the book, we thought about a lot of things, we thought about the work that we have done around the world with our brothers and sisters, who've been the native, 
but the more recent this year, he uh, fought against the Western Come in, Speak up just a little bit more, sir. I'm sorry. Okay. I don't know if it's your phone. How about now? Can you hear me better? Yes, sir. We hear you perfect. Okay. I had to change. I'm sorry. Yeah, we thought about uh, a lot of the work that we had done around the world with brothers and sisters like in Grenada with Maurice Bishop when he raised up against Western forces, the brothers and sisters in Azania, South Africa, in the Free South Africa movement. Um, Haiti and Rwanda with some of the relief work that we had done there. I thought about mm. uh, after Katrina and, and the brothers and sisters coming from Houston, uh, Harvey, where brothers and sisters right here in mm. Houston um, were being struck. And I also we also thought about the great debt that we owe to IAT, right? We, the, uh, yes, we talk about the revolutionaries, the brothers and sisters, that actually started this revolution, who are the finest examples of revolutionaries and those who didn't talk about self-determination but practiced self-determination and put their lives on the line, Cecile Fatima, Dudley Bookman, uh, Marie-Jean, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, who they called the ferocious, Toussaint, and so many others whose names that we don't know. And finally, we thought about our great sister, the former National Secretary of Vimbuff, who was right here in Houston and spent 30 years working in Haiti and living in Haiti, Sister Mawia Duprabah. And when we saw those pictures, we said, those are our brothers and sisters, right? Those are our brothers and sisters. And then also, in order for us to understand why we see this picture that's evoking this emotional visceral response, whoever you said, said it quite right. If we looked at what happened to George Floyd last year, but we didn't mm-hmm, understand mm-hmm. enslavement of African people or black people, then we would have no context to what happened in 2020. So it goes back. And these people, these Europeans, they have absolutely held a vendetta against the, those who raised up that black republic there, that that inspired Nat Turner and others all across the globe, right, that we could do it. And they've held that vendetta, and it has been in, you ever heard the term, the national security interest? Well, it's the national security interest of the United States and these other European Western powers, including France, to have a destabilized IAT or Haiti. And we could go through the list from occupation in 19. 1915 to the 1930s, to humanitarian scams, to coup d'etat, that they keep the country destabilized. And the brother is absolutely correct based on our study of history. There's a class issue where we got some people who look like us, black faces, but not are for us that are helped to be used as a conduit to destabilize the country. So then we see these horrific images without having historical context. So it's no accident. A reporter asked me, Sister Attorney Pan, he said, well, Haiti doesn't seem like it can get a break. I said, yeah, that's because these Europeans have never given them a break and used every means at their disposal to make an example of them. So that's the thing that we thought about, and finally, and we'll get into it later, 
we said, what can we do? What can we do? We right mm-hmm. here in Texas. What are the things we should be doing? And yes, I'm uh, glad you asked that question, my brother. I truly uh, believe, uh, this is my belief now, that uh, the, wor- the black world owes Haiti a lot because uh, we've been defending everybody. Absolutely. But now Absolutely. we don't have the strength to fight anymore. So now it, it is up to the, the black world to raise their voice for Haiti. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That, and that, that's a really int- important point, and I think that's why it's so important that we know the connection that we have to the Haitian people because I was looking up, I was reading last night and studying, and so the fact that this Haitian uh, revolution where they beat the, the France, it was right there amongst the other colonies that existed, some of the other Caribbean countries, and Haiti was the one that was successful. And so the fact that they were able to to win and to persevere and to declare their independence, you know, that's been such a tremendous, um, a tremendous power, you know, and, and this is something that we know that anytime you stand up, you know, you do um, – are targeted by just like we're targeted. We see, you know, and so I think it's so important for us to understand how long these people have been fighting and what a beautiful and tremendous effort that was achieved by them beating the French back, you know, beating. Yes, sir. This is time also uh, to debunk uh, all the lies about the Asian uh, independence. Okay. Because, uh, the, the 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 thing that the, you you will hear more often is was a slave revolt. Oh, it was an uprising. So, if we de- uh, define those words, what what is a revolt? What is an uprising? Because when you take those two words, it's always a people who are uh, who are uh, uh, rising against their own. Uh, government, uh, their own people uh, from oppression. But what we did was not a, a revolt. It was not a, a, an uprising. It was a war because we had an invading <laughs> army that came to us. And mm. we fought with our, the same ammunition that they had. So how could that be a revolt? And uh, to St. Louis, has it, it has its own army. And and uh, with that, we had a few of the mulattoes also who were also uh, helping in the cause because we all saw the uh, necessity of united uh, our forces. So we forget all the uh, little uh, bickering that we had. So we say we are going to conquer our own independence, and we did. And we 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 fought friends. And there were many things also we have to understand because God also always has a play in everything that goes on. And every time a power is falling, there is always a plague that, that preceded. Okay, what was the plague that France had? Okay, when they were fighting us, there was a, something called yellow fever that was decimating the army, the, the, the British army the French army, and they were dying. 
and the Haitians were fierce in, in in battle. And you know them; they've been here. You know them under different names that you don't know. Uh, you're talking about them. They are called Buffalo Soldiers. The Buffalo Soldiers. They they were trained by the Haitian army, and they fought here. Okay, you said they were American. Absolutely not, because at the time, you know, black America did not have access to guns. You did not have access to, to, to the army. There are many things you could not do here under the white supremacists here. So right. at that point, because remember, uh, Louisiana was a French colony, and the French colony was under two central Louis' command in, in, in overseas, in a way. Because uh, there was Santonac, there was a bunch of uh, generals that were sent, but they, uh, at one point, they were losing battle too. But to St. Louis, never lost one battle. So now, if you know you have somebody who never uh, lost, whom are you going to convey your uh, ammunition to? So right. all those things, uh, the merchandise that came from, uh, from Europe, from France, and all the ammunition usually make a first stop in Haiti first. Why? Because they know. Nobody can come in and try to confiscate them. You know, you had pirates uh, on the sea. You had uh, all kind of people uh, fighting to get their hand to the merchandise. And at that point, when the war uh, started, we still have a stockpile of uh, ammunition still there. You could go anytime to Haiti, go to the Citadel, and you will find uh, those uh, ammunition still stockpiled there. Okay, so all of these things, are, they don't want the world to know what we did. And for that, they can perpetrate. And why are they doing this to Haiti anyway? Uh, they say we are the poorest. Do you know we have oil in Haiti? And for that matter, they the richest oil field? Not sure. Do you know we have gold in Haiti? We have bauxite, and all of these are being exploited, and nobody knows who's, get, who's getting paid. So, yes, sir. And, you know, but, and it's interesting, uh, Brother Eric, because as you talk about Louisiana Purchase, for example, we mm-hmm. can draw some, some relationship as black people who were in America because we know that we were enslaved in the South, is what you're saying. And we were in a different situation, but Louisiana was purchased from Napoleon. Um mm-hmm. And I guess when the Haitians who were part of Napoleon's army or Napoleon's, like you say, Toussaint Louverture, all of that is crossing over into American history. And so I think the unity of us as black people who were brought here to this country and you all who were not brought to this country, you know, became voluntarily many, you know, it, it all relates. And and I think our listeners really need to begin to understand how we are. Um, we have common blood, and, and that's, that's important. That's right. Go regarding ahead. The, regarding the Louisiana Purchase, it's not something that was a, a plan. Because uh, how did it happen? Because uh, at the time, uh, you know, America wanted to have access to the Mississippi River, and that river was controlled by Spain and French, and France. Okay, so at that point, if, if Spain did not want them to access that at all, because first of all, because they, you had the first thirteen colonies on the east, and you had the, the Oregon and the uh, 
Washington Territory on, in the west, and the Louisiana stood in between. And uh, while uh, Mr. Monroe uh, and, uh, was sent as an ambassador to negotiate a piece of that uh, uh, territory, so that they could, uh, so that America could have, uh, have access to the Mississippi River at the time, and uh, he was not successful. One year later, they sent Jefferson. Uh, yes, then Jefferson went to negotiate it, and he, he, while he was negotiating, and then this is the time uh, Napoleon's army uh, got its defeat from the Haitians. So at that point, there was no need to think that oh, you're going to keep Louisiana because right. they, they, was, they were going to lose it anyway to the British because the British were very strong in the area at the time uh, because they had the Savannah yes. uh, port. And yes, because of that, so Napoleon said, okay, what if you want, I tell you the whole territory. Yeah, just sell it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And that's how they got $10 million for it. Right. That, that piece of Louisiana we're talking about, it gives birth to 15 different states. I mean, 13 major states and, and a portion of a two, two more states get a portion of that Louisiana purchase and give you 15. Yes, sir. So, okay. Yes, sir. Uh, so, see, the history is so important. We want to go ahead, Brother Kofi. That's we want to yeah, uh, move it around because Brother Josh. Yeah. We want to hear from you. I know. Too. I want. Go ahead, Brother Kofi. I want to hear from my man Joshua. I just wanted to put this pin on the history. There's a whole level of scholarship that's been dedicated to the history of Haiti, of Haiti, you know including C.L.R. Uh, James' book, The Black Jacobin, The Irritated Genie by Jacob Carruthers. The scholar Bayina Bello um, is one, and I would encourage those who are listening who maybe haven't studied it, and there are many others, because it's a whole, we could do a whole show just on the history, and I just wanted to throw that out there. Sir. Yes, sir, and I, I really appreciate that. Um, so let's bring it to the current, and let's go back to the brutal imagery and the crisis in Del Rio, and one of the reasons why Brother Joshua is um, – joining us tonight is that I looked out on social media and I saw my young brother show pictures of himself down at that border, down at the Del Rio border, and he was sharing um, his being, you know, eyewitness. So we want Brother Joshua, please, can you share with us and describe, you know, this event? How did, how did you get down to the border? Uh, you know, what, what, what do you want to share with us about what you saw and what you know? Yes, yeah, so first of all, thank you, and I want to just um, thank everybody for the information they shared this far. I'm really sitting here feeling uh, like a guest, just learning from those who have formed me and the wealth of knowledge that's here. So I just want to say that first, and then I'll pray to do to Allah. And then I want to answer the first question. I'm going to lead that into the question that you asked me. So I know we all touched on it. I'm Brother Ed, Brother, Brother Kofi, Sister Tiffany about what was our first reaction. And, you know, Brother Eric had talked about it, we all talked about it, was the history of Haiti and how there has been a concerted energy and effort by Western powers ever since Haiti embarrassed France in the Haitian Revolution to keep their foot on the necks of the Haiti people. And we can't even we, – a lot of people talk about revolutionary. revolutionary. Haiti, Haiti is the – the founder of that term, in a sense, from that it's the only or the first 
independent black nation, the only independent black nation in the Western Hemisphere. So when you look at the picture of that, um, the the border patrol on horseback lassoing and whipping the Haitian migrant, and he had a smile on his face. That is the attitude that's predominant in West with the Western powers towards our Haiti towards our Haitian brothers and sisters that we're going to keep our foot on your neck and we're going to show the rest of the world if if you're thinking about independence and revolution that you better think again. So now moving to the trip when it came to going to the border, the US Mexico border in Del Rio, Texas, I actually accompanied uh organization out of New York that spearheaded by Tamika Malley and other people called Until Freedom. And we went down there to put our feet on the ground and actually see what was going on. Now, interestingly enough, there was an article put up by the Washington Examiner that talked about how the Biden administration moved to clear out the, the, the camp that was under the bridge. And one of the reasons that was cited was it was bad optics because they feared that when they saw um, Tamika Mallory and other people coming down to the Haitian border, that, you know, it's going to bring more attention and a bad look on Biden. Because the same people who were voting for Biden, um, you know, pushing him to get in office, are now also holding him accountable on this Haitian issue. And so they rushed to clear the migrant camp out. And it was really a, a hack job because, up until this point, but really what the only thing they did, and as we were driving down, this was about a seven-hour drive, seven, eight-hour drive, because he left from Dallas with supplies to go to the Mexico border. When we were driving down there, we literally saw buses leaving in the other direction because they just rushed to get these people from the camp because they, they didn't want the optics, right? And that, that's what that's what we saw. So it was myself who was down there. Uh, Tamika Mallory, her team came. You also, I want to shout out people, Trey the Truth out of Houston came. You had other celebrities. You had um, Carly Red, who was actually a, a Haitian, Haitian-born, and she came down and she was actually we met with a Haitian family. She was translating, and we helped them get um, things that they needed. So that was the purpose of the trip. How I ended up down there to really put our foot on the ground. We talked with some of the border patrol police, and they told us about you know the 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 process by which the Haitians got to that part. They told us about that they said that there was no processing of Haitian people seeking asylum at the border, that they just bust them out to whatever so they can seek asylum there and be actually sit in front of a, a, a immigration um, agent. So that was what it looked like on the ground. But just to reiterate that it's an energy towards the Haiti, Haiti people. If you, if you juxtapose that with the energy that was going towards the Afghani people who they who America act like they care about, it was a totally different energy as opposed to the energy with okay. Haitian people who were seeking asylum that they didn't get the welcome energy. And that's the energy and the effort and the attitude you have it. that has been that has been towards since it's independent. And we saw that in the picture and we see that even now as they're not really dealing and helping the Haitian people as they should be helped. And really, and really paying homage because the only reason that America is as it is today, and Brother Eric touched on this, is because Haiti sent friends back running to France, and America thought that we believe in a person wasn't planned, but still America benefited from that. And so America should really be grateful. As the, the Quran says, we should not be found ungrateful. America should really be more grateful towards the Haitian people, but instead they have made an effort to keep the people of Haiti down 
to suppress any other revolutionary spirit when it comes to black people in the Western Hemisphere, in the Western Hemisphere and throughout the diaspora. Yes, sir. Oh, that is so beautiful. Um, thank you for sharing that, Brother Joshua. And and do we know, are we being told where our Haitian brothers and sisters have been removed to? Because it just really reminds us of when the uh, Mexican people were at the border and the children um, were separated and um, in those cages, and, and that was just so distressing to me. So uh, do we are we being told where the continued processing is going on? That's so a very good question, process, too. I remember. Um, go ahead. You can go. Uh, I Sorry. just want to finish up. Uh, from what I heard at the, the border, the process is really sporadic. So they, I think what they did was they kind of asked the Haitian migrants at the border and, you know, asked where they had family at. And it wasn't even a real process of border. The way they was keeping track of the border was they gave them um, ticket numbers, you know, like just the number. And then they just bust them to random cities uh, from Houston, um, parts in Texas. I think some even went to New York. They just bust them to random cities and it, and hopefully eventually maybe process them there, right? But there was really no um, real set, like, oh, they're going here. This is what's going to happen. It was really just let's get them out of this spot. So it, there's no bad optics. And I would like to add, and then I'll let Brother Eric touch on it more, uh, or what he's going to touch on, is that when you see, when you juxtapose how America responds to things and things of threat, so there's a protest. America brings out, you know, tanks. It has police and, you know, riot gear, things that they spend a, a lot of money on to essentially deal with those situations. We went down to the Haitian a migrant camp at Del Rio, Texas, they literally had, you know, some makeshift fencing under the under the bridge, and then they had just random tents, some porta-potties, um, an RV camper, and that was their makeshift situation to deal with this humanitarian crisis. So it just shows, again, the spirit and the attitude that America has towards the not just black people, but the Haitian people, and the the effort they put into dealing with that. And Brother Eric, you can I'll pass it to you now. Very yes, good. Yes, sir. And, and before I want to Brother Eric, let me say this real fast. Anybody who would like to make a question or a comment, please get into the host queue by pressing the number one, a question or a comment. Thank you. Go ahead, Brother Eric. Because the last time that happened, uh, we had what you call the Mario boat people uh, uh, that was from Cuba. They they were accepted in, uh, in America. They were never returned to Cuba, nor did, they, did I know they were mistreated in the sense. But when it come, uh, right after we had the Asian boat people coming too, and we find many of them were being uh, drawn uh, and things of that sort in, in, in the sea, and when they reach the shore, they put them in jail in a way. And uh, from the food that they were feeding them, and some of them were growing bread. You see, mm-hmm. so so men were growing breast like female. So all of that is to show you there is a policy uh, regarding Haitian and blacks in general that is uh, really outrageous at times. 
Yes, yes, sir. And, and that's really the, I think, one of the things we have to look at with the final call article, Biden's backstabbing, uh, false promises, because we look at a lot of times about, we talk about separation. You know, we talk about making our own communities decent and safe places to live and what we need to do for ourselves. So this mindset that we need to keep looking to this Western country and this white supremacist country to do right by us. Um, This is really something that, you know, I think we, uh, from a legal standpoint, you know, we saw the George Floyd and Police Act not be passed through. We see these not guilty verdicts. We see these police not charged. We see, you know, our, our children being snatched and our families targeted. So at what point do we start to look at these instances and see what we must do for ourselves and, um, you know, and stop being the, um, you know, in, in these experimental, taking experimental um, drugs and, and, you know, subjecting ourselves to someone who is showing us that they are our enemy. Um, so, you know, like I say, the article, False Promises, Brother Kofi, and and we're going down to our our last. I think we do have um, a couple callers who want to make some some comments. So let me go ahead and um, open up the mic. I'm going to open up the mic on the last digit eight three zero. If possible, yes. And eight three zero. I'm sorry. Yes, 830. Do you have a question or a comment? Yes, assalamu alaikum. Do you have a question or a comment? Okay, I didn't know I was on live. Yes, yes, this is Baba Lola from Houston. Assalamu alaikum to everyone. Uh, first of all, I'd like well, to like Islam, thank Brother Eric. Oh, excuse me, this. Thank Brother Eric for reminding and refreshing our memory about the great history of Haiti. And then the, the brother that was mentioning that the migrants were put on buses and dispersed through uh, to to Houston and other cities, by being in Houston, uh, can he expound on that, how they could be contacted if possible, or that process in general? So that was me, Brother Joshua. I'm not totally sure the process Thank in you. Houston. They just gave us a list of, you know, different cities that people went to, because Houston, you know, is like five hours from Del Rio, Texas. So I'm not totally sure where they went. But what I would say the best thing to do is link with one of these organizations, because there's some Haitian organ- Haitian support organizations in Houston. Like we, we link with a Haitian support organization in Del Rio, Texas, and, you know, work with them to see what what's happening and how they're being involved. I know one is called Haitian Bridge. I believe they're in Houston as well, too, and there's a few others. But they will have more, they will have more information on, you know, the process and how they're working to deal with the Haitian people, and, you know, whatever city that you're in, there might be some that came to your city. It's just a matter of doing the research and finding out because, like I said, it really wasn't a a real organized process. What they did was they saw that people, more people were coming down, um, putting attention on the Haitian camp and the migrant camp in Del Rio, Texas, and they literally just did a rush job to get them to clear out the camp and get them somewhere without any real thought of, okay, what's going to happen when they get there, it was just the optics. So I would just encourage anybody who wants to get involved to find out in your city, whatever, 
Haitian support organization um, there is and find out how you can get involved and how you can help the Haitian people that may have came to your city and, and ask about what the process is once they're in front of an immigration um, agent, even if they're, if they're even doing that, because they say things all the time, and then you will actually research and find out, and it's not happening as it should be. That's one of my major concerns. Did they just bring in to Houston, drop them off at the bus stop and say, you know, now you're here, you're on your own, or do you think they did something substantially more caring than that? If I had to guess if the, this government did something substantial to help Haitian people, I would say that it's little to none. And the reason I brought up the point about how when they saw that different organizations like Until Freedom and were coming down there and they rushed to clear the camp out because they knew that they were being held accountable. And so now it's not about us depending on them to do for the Haitian people. We have to, number one, put our, put our foot on their necks and force them to do something because if we allow them to just do whatever, they're never going to do it, and they've they shown that. And then, number two, we have to organize amongst ourselves to support our Haitian brothers and sisters. So we can't leave our salvation in the hands of our open enemy who has been showing us that for the past 400-plus years. You have to say, okay, what, what, what has been done so far, and then how can we take the responsibility to help, help our brothers and sisters? So the answer to your question is I would say if, if there's something really going to help, they're really helping the Haitian people, I would say no. It's just more so how can we get this situation out the way, have better optics, do some damage control, and, you know, they end up where they end up at um, because they really haven't. I, I would tell you that I believe they really haven't thought through this process. Thank you all. Great, great program. Thank you, my sister. Hello. Oh, we're here. Uh, I'd like to bring something else uh, to to the table, which is which has everything to do with the work that the minister is on right now, and which we are part of. Everything deals with prophecy, and yes. if. If we are living the time of prophecy, so you have to see what is the importance of Haiti in all that prophecy. Yes, sir. And, and yes. Brother Eric, yes. I'm sorry, because we're sharing the, uh, the line. I actually opened up the line for Sister oh. Ruth, and I was on mute. So she's her line is open, and then we'll come right back to you. Sister Ruth, um, assalamu alaikum. Well, alaikum salam, ma'am. How are you doing? I am fine uh, by Allah's grace. Yes, ma'am, Sister Ruth, and thank you for calling. Do you have a question or a comment? Yes, ma'am. I, I want to share something. I, I, I've i been enjoying the the talk, and I thank Allah for Sister Tiffany because she invited me uh, before. Oh, all praises to um, Allah. Thank you. And so she reminded me today, uh, you know, about the talk, and the reason that she invited me because of immigration. And I was one of, uh, I, I'm a member of the Nation of Islam, and I was uh, in Mexico uh, for seven months because they would not allow me to come back in the country because of 
my vaccines. They wanted me to get vaccinated. And um, so, you know, I wrestled with that. And other things that dealt with, you know, things that were asked in my interview, you know, uh, dealing with my money, my charity, uh, because at that year we have gave, you know, a lot of charity to our savings and gift, our lives, grace, my husband and I. And, you know, when, when we go go for an interview, you have to show all documentation, taxes, so they know everything about you. They, you know, ask me about my criminal background and, uh, they asked me about my name, Muhammad. Is my name Muhammad for real? You know. <clears throat> so everything that was asked was dealing with my belief system. And so when it got to the vaccine, you know, I refused the vaccination because you know, I believe in the teachings of the Most Humble Elijah Muhammad. I believe that with all my heart, mind, and soul that he is, you know, someone that was visited because of that wisdom that he given to us, then I take it and I live by it. So when he gave me the knowledge of my open enemy, then I knew who my enemy was. So I knew that either I have to submit to my enemy or to what I say I believe in, which is, you know, my religion. And at that moment, it was a battle in the sky, you know. And, of course, my religion won. The way, you know, that that <clears throat> the way of what the most Elijah Muhammad brought us, you know, won in my mind. And so I told them I'm not getting vaccinated. And so they said, well, you can't get a visa, or we're not going to permit you to come back into the country. And I said, fine. You know, I had the spirit of I stay in Mexico. I bring all my family from America, which I'm married to an American citizen, a, a student minister, you know, in the nation of Islam, Brother Stanley Muhammad. And I had nine children. Uh, seven girls, two boys, all American citizens. And so I said, I'll bring all my family to Mexico and we'll, you know, establish a home there. And when, you know, when we got, when we stayed in Mexico, my husband started uh, inviting our Mexican brothers and sisters to hear the Honorable Minister Louis Falcon. We literally rented a hotel, a nice Hilton hotel. And we played the minister's webcast. We played Holy Day of Atonement there. So when we played the third webcast of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, they sent me a letter right after that. See, this is how we know. That's why everything that the messenger taught me and I have read and heard coming from the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, I know it's true. And it's just a matter of time yes, where it's going to become fact, you know. And so they called me and they said they want to interview me again. And <laughs> so they allowed, they told me, they gave me my visa and told me I can come back to America 
that I didn't have. Oh. I, I was exempt from vaccination. Now, mm. so they're saying that this, you know, that they sending our brothers and sisters from Haiti back to, you know, uh, back to their country because of COVID. They're using Title 42. But when you, you know, you, you know and you study the law, and of course we're taught, you know, by the most honorable Muhammad, definition of an American. And I want to read something from a message to the black man on page 83. I just want to read the definition. And he says, yes, an American, according to the dictionary, is a citizen of the United States or of the earlier British colonies, one not belonging to one of the aboriginal races. We belong to the aboriginal nation of the earth. The white or European race is not aboriginal. So what a lot of things that the injustice that we see being done, because even you know, when we were at uh, the embassy, they have a list of countries that are mandatory to get vaccinated, and they have a list countries that do not have to be vaccinated to come to America. And guess what? All the European countries were on not vaccinated. You don't, they don't, they're not required to get vaccinated when they come to America. Mm-hmm. But people from Haiti, people from Mexico, people from Africa, vaccinated. So what is that showing us? That there is an injustice. That there is, you know, uh, uh, what the Muslim Elijah Muhammad said is right and exact. You know, they paint a picture as they want to treat us like citizens. But their actions show that we are true citizens. You know, and that's, that's right. why he said the only solution is that we're going to have to, you know, get a territory. We're going to have to do something for ourselves in regard yes, to man. every aspect of life. He's going to force us to unite. Look at what's going on with the Haitian brothers and sisters in Mexico. Mm. You know, the Jesus. Mexican brothers and sisters are opening their doors. Being our people, they're being forced because when I was in Mexico for seven months, this is before, right before coronavirus hit. Now my last name is Corona. Before the virus came, they called me Corona. I was not, they did not call me by Muhammad. They wouldn't even Mm. use my, my, which we went, my husband and our family went before a judge. And we demanded to be named our proper name, Muhammad. And so we got court documents of that. So, but they didn't care about the, you know, American court record. They called me Corona. So right before the coronavirus, I'm in Mexico, Miss Corona, Miss Corona, you know. And so, Mm. but when I was there, the people, you know, they have these, these heads, right? the statues of faces and it's, it's, I've seen one of them it's, they're the Amalek, Amalek, Amalek 
uh, faces, and I seen one of them. Okay. I told my husband, I said, that face looks just like yours. The features, the nose, the eye, you know, everything. It's like I'm looking at my husband in a statue in a face. And so I asked, you know, one of the people from there, and it was an older person, and they said that is a story that they have that, you know, it's like a, uh, what they talk amongst themselves about, you know, the history of what's going to happen in the future. They said that those are signs that one day they will be back to that land. And so when that, when that, when that Mexican person told me that history, and now I'm hearing about our brothers and sisters from Haiti coming to Mexico and seeking refuge. When you look at that face, that's what that face represents. The black man is coming back to the whole, the the world belongs to the original black man. And that's what yes, we're sir. seeing. Thank you so and much. that's sir. why the COVID vaccine is being, you know, forced and pushed on us because it's called, you know, population control. And when you had a zero yeah, population, you can't produce, guess what you do? You try to yeah. kill others that don't look like you. Yes, so ma'am. Well, thank you, Sister Ruth. <laughs> thank you. That was so much. Well, you shared that. so much, and it was beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. I thank you so much for calling in on this particular show, sis. So please uh, call again, and thank you for all that you share because that unity that you brought forth, I think that's what we're really trying to get across tonight, that everywhere the black man was, there's a sign. We're, we're, we're all over this planet, so it's not just about me in Houston or me in Chicago. It's we are a, a people who, you know, we're a national people, and so we want to but we've been cut off from our knowledge of who we are, and we don't even know our history. So that's why we spent some time with history tonight. And so we wanted to um, move back to Brother Brother Eric, yes, and then I then we'll we'll start to close out. But go ahead, Brother Eric. Thank you. Yes, uh, sir. Thank you. Okay, now I'd like to, uh, to present Haiti to the rest of the world in uh, prophecy itself. Uh, the prophecy of the coming of God, it, it required that the people shall be included into slavery. But for that people to come to slavery, there, there was a land that had to be discovered to bring that people to. Haiti become the door to what you call the new world today. Because this was the very first colony that existed. That's where Christopher Columbus uh, settled first. Uh, and till today, uh, America always wanted to have that particular place where Christopher Columbus is uh, called Mole St. Nicholas. And uh, with that, They've been trying for the hardest. They, t- they took it once, but there was a revolt, and they had to uh, to give it up. But now we are colonized again, but uh, God knows. But everything happened by Allah's permission. So now, when you come to see Haiti as the first land that was discovered, that was uh, colonized, it brings the 
America, the blacks in America where we we are today. But again, there was the minister touched on on the subject uh, talking about Rebecca giving birth to to twins. When you read it, it say uh, one was red and the other one was uh, dissimilar in a way. But it is obvious they could not. Uh, be uh, that way because uh, uh, coming from the same mother, from the same father, one would be red and the other one would be black. Mm, that's that. But if you look at it, Haiti has never really enjoyed its independence yet, and the mm. nation of Islam is taking birth today. Mm. So those two nations, we are two black nations that has to be uh, born together. And the, the elder will serve the younger. So we mm. are here to serve you Praise more than anything else. Beautiful, beautiful. And so we're actually down to 10 minutes. And I know as we were talking about contributions of our people, if Brother uh, Kofi is still on, we're talking about making our communities safe and decent and contributions. And, like, he brought up his sister, um, Maria, who was a, a beautiful sister who actually made a difference. Cause, and, and I, Brother Kofi, are you still here? Yes, I am. Yes, sir. If you I'm could here. share with us a bit about, you know, how one sister went and, and made a difference in Haiti, beautiful, beautiful black woman and what she did. Um, Absolutely. Uh, she had an organization called Haitian American Ministries. Um, her husband um, was from Haiti, and I think that began her connection, but she did a lot of uh, humanitarian aid type of work. And as I was sharing with you offline, she would take trips every year, twice a year, so forth. And then she ultimately moved to Haiti and became very, uh, over that 30 or more years, became very in the history, the culture, the spirituality, of the people there was just a calling for her. And but she was an independent humanitarian with a small organization that many of us in Houston and indeed around the country supported in a very independent way, where she's operating in these spaces with these large aid agencies. Like we know humanitarian aid and a lot of those things are a big business for these entities, right? But she was operating in, in those spaces, making sure that aid got directly to the people. She was actually there doing the earthquake, I believe, in 2010, came back and um, a- after that and was headed back to Haiti when, unfortunately, she became an ancestor. So she was a great link for us in the Houston community and the different organizations and indeed around the country. And she just had that dedication, that commitment, and that connection with the people. And, yes, she did make a difference. A point I wanted to make also. Made a difference. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Is we were talking offline about how oftentimes we fight against the criminal injustice system in America. Like I can think of the hundreds of hundreds or more of trials and issues. You talked about the police terrorism and the killing of our sisters and brothers and meetings and forums and all types of protests and campaigns. But in the realm of immigration, 
we might not be as up to speed. There's a, a learning curve there, and I was glad that the sister attorney was on, able to give us just some basics. But when you enter that immigration porthole, if you will, there's a different set of laws and requirements and all of that that go into it. So when we talk about the people, where are they going? That's one of our questions. Where are our people? Where are they going? Right? And what is the, the process? Many came through this uh, transfer center run by a church group in North Houston right out by the airport. There were buses and buses and buses of people that came through there. Apparently that has slowed down and there were many volunteers and donations and what have you that took place. So we got to get up to speed on these systems is what I'm trying to yes, say. Sir. And I know that there are many brothers and sisters throughout the country who are aware of the system and have, um, who can help educate us on how that immigration system works in particular. Yes, sir. And, and you're absolutely right, uh, Brother Kofi. Thank you for that, because we actually had a, a sim, we had a uh, talk show a couple of, like, about a month ago, back in August, and we specifically talked about immigration, and we brought on a brother uh, who is also an immigration attorney, and we, we, we talked about how the need to unite with our brothers and sisters from other countries and how black people, we have to get past this um, indifference, if we may say, or lack of concern, uh, and it's based off, off of non-knowledge. And so to see hate, this Haitian crisis pop back up, you know, we had to, we just felt like we had to come on and we had to talk about it as as best that we could um you know, so we because from what we're hearing, uh, there's some unconstitutionality that is absolutely being perpetrated uh, where the laws, although they're saying it's this COVID law that is giving them the right to just um, send the Haitians off without any kind of removal proceedings or the fact that they've hit the soil. So now they're, you know, should have some kind of hearing before they're actually being deported. It doesn't look like that is even going on. So um, I think One you're absolutely right. At the time. Yes, One of the sir. groups we looked at in that arena was called BAJI, a Black Alliance okay. for Just right. Immigration. And yes, sir. when we looked at their information, they were like their sister attorney earlier, telling us what the proper terminology is, what some of the history has been. That's another good uh, entity to look into to understand the legal side of immigration. Yes, sir. And the brother, Brother Joseph Mackendall, um, he was actually, he's a member of that organization as well. So the last time, again, we, we talked about it. Great. Um, mm -hmm. And he was able to give us a lot of information. But I think as well, Brother Kofi, because you've been such a humanitarian and you're such a, you know, a person who fights for people in the community, you know, be it, you know, they have money, you know, whatever issues that are affecting our oppressed people, we got to make sure that by knowing who we are, knowledge of self, we're deepening the love that our people have for one another. And so some of the stories that you all know, because you all know history, I think was important to share in this space. And so we're, we're down, we're actually, we, 
down. The clock is down. We're five minutes. I wanted to say to Brother Joshua, you know, a lot of times, Brother Joshua, again, I'm so proud of you because one of our talking points is a lawyer is either a social engineer or a parasite on society, and you are an engineer. And so this whole process of building and using your technical, your, your mind and your skills and your mathematical equations to to build this new world. This this is such a beautiful thing. So in closing, does anyone else uh, want to make a statement? We're down to five minutes, and I want to thank everyone for listening. And we, we pray. Quickly. we got to pray for our brothers and sisters who are going through uh, the struggle in Haiti because we're seeing babies. We're seeing women and children and little bitty babies. And to my understanding, they have pregnant women um, as well. Um, so, you know, Quickly, Sister definitely... Pam, I want to let yes, you know that in Houston we're doing a relief effort. Oh, and you can find you that so on, right. online with Imba Houston on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, and it's taking place this Thursday evening. It's very specific, but National Black United Front Houston, we're doing a relief effort. You're right. And, Brother Dr. Kofi, like you said, that's from 4 p.m. to 6.30 on Thursday, September the 30th, and that's at the end buff at Houston Chapter. And uh, please go online, as he said. Yeah, Any other information Eric, you want to give on them? I think I heard go ahead. Eric, yes, sir. and then I was going to go after him. Okay, go right ahead. Maybe he will. Okay, well, I'll go. Um, so I'll just say, well, thank you for your comment, Sister Pamela. And, you know, just being an engineer, like you said, a social engineer, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan told us to make our communities a safe and decent place to live. And so I was listening to this conversation. When you say our, when we say our communities, it's not just the communities inside of the continent of the U.S. Our community or our, what is that, call it the diaspora or the UMA, is worldwide because we have black people all over the world who are brothers and sisters. So now it's even a broader conversation about uniting, you know, in America, but also uniting with our people across the globe to make our community, our global community, a safe and decent place to live. And I'll add this point that the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan said that what you see happening overseas comes to your front door. And I'll, I'll paraphrase that. Mm. What you see happening overseas will come to your front door. And if Brother Eric talked about prophecy earlier, that if we know that we're in the fall of America, I'll throw this out there. There may be a time to where we might have to be going to Haiti for some type of asylum as America as America falls. So we haven't prepared mm. that and united with our people throughout the globe that, you know, we might have to make a move and be and be with our brother sister in Haiti or Jamaica or Africa or wherever have you. We haven't connected those channels and built that unity, then, you know, it'll be even harder for us to make our way through this fall. So I just want to add that point that when it comes to making our community a safe and decent place to live, it's not just the community that's, you know, a mile radius around you right now, but it's also the global community that we need to make a safe and decent place to live for black people all across the globe, all, all across the world. Yes, sir, that's beautiful. And, uh, again, the Haitian relief drive that the National Black United Front is doing, Brother Kofi, do you want me to give that number out real fast? Is that fine? Yes. 
Yes. Sure. And so the number to call is 504-553-7668. And that's for the National Black United Front Haitian Relief Drive, um, and that's in Houston. Again, 505-553-7668, and they'll be doing that on September the 30th. Uh, That's Thursday. So I just wanted to thank everyone for listening and joining the discussion on our show tonight. I would like to uh, thank the Elevated Places team, that's Sister Dr. Ava Muhammad, Sister Donna, Samaya Muhammad, Brother Terrence. Thank you all for listening, and thank you to the panelists who took their time to come and join us as we talked about this very serious conversation regarding our people in Haiti and the crisis and independent black nation building. So, again, uh, please listen to um, The Elevated Places with Ask Dr. Ava. That's on Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on The Elevated Places Network. And we look forward to speaking with you again next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Thank you again for listening. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikum salam. Alaikum salam. Thank you. Proud of you, Thank you, Brother Coco. Hey, I'm honored to be here. I'll call you Brother Coco.